I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Welcome to the Aotearoa Rugby Pod after a massive weekend of the Rugby World Cup. We're absolutely fizzing after that Box Island game. What a match, what a way to set up the rest of the tournament. So we'll get big time into that, of course. Is Andre Pollard going to come into that starting team because they couldn't get their kicks? Plenty to discuss how Ireland look. Are they the team to beat now? Who knows? Who knows? We've also got a few other games to get into. The All Blacks return against Italy. Who are they going to pick? It could be Sam Whitelock's 149th. We've had lots of viewer questions about the All Blacks. Frustrated Kiwis. And we'll try our best to answer as many of those as we can. And Wales, the quiet achievers of this tournament. They're three from three and they go and knock out Australia, who look awful. They are a dreadful <laughs> side right now. They're a really dreadful side. And their World Cup is not going very far at all. Eddie Jones' career, how far that goes, who knows, maybe to somewhere else. So, before we get into that, let's introduce our guys. James Parsons, how are you? Yeah, good, good, loving the World Cup. NPC, you know, it's obviously pretty pretty excited about uh, the Shield Challenge, but it wasn't to be. Wellington <laughs> just looked too good. Uh, yeah, yeah, they've got it for another year pretty much by the looks of it, doesn't it? They are a good team. Yeah, I think they are going to be very, very hard to beat. For yep. the championship as well. Well, that could be all of our NPC chat for this entire yep. Um, yep. thing. Yeah, yeah. I just had to get it, out <laughs> get it out of you. Get it out of you. And over in the screen, Bryn Hall, who probably had a good look at that game too. Yeah, I watched the second half of it. We'd um, just finished our game. So, yeah, a bit unfortunate for the Harbour Boys, but man, Wellington, tell me Allison's got them absolute roaring. So, what are they, 18 in a row? Could go back to back years, not losing. So, yeah, good setup in Wellington at the moment. Quite a team, but let's get into another outstanding team, and that is Ireland. I'm keen to know, can you see anyone stopping them in this tournament after taking down the Springboks? Oh, I think the Springboks could definitely... They, they put themselves in a position to win that game, and you know, for points that we've sort of laboured previously around the goal-kicking and, and the, you know, how hard it is to throw these, these balls into the line-out, of course. <laughs> um, but... It, it, I mean, their defence was pretty impressive. Like they are, they are a hard team to break down. So you, you are going to have to, you know, bring some innovation and attack. And I still think, for Ireland, Johnny Sexton, you know, you see it with Dupont in France. Like these key individuals need to remain fit and, and out there. So I still think it's open. Mm. Um, you know, they'll be, you know, wrapped with the result. But I think the Springboks can be really happy with what they, you know, they put themselves in a position to win that as well. And it could have, you know, towards the end, you thought. 
man, are they going to steal this um, in an area that they're normally so dominant? I do think um, you're starting to see how big a hole Malcolm Marks leaves. Mm. You know, he's quite an influential player for them um, and that one-two punch off off the bench. So, yeah, I still think it's open. I don't, it hasn't solidified that you know Ireland are unbeatable, but it's definitely showed how how good they can be. Brent, it's interesting how it happens. You have such obvious talking points, a lack of a goal kicker and a lack of a specialist backup. A guy who has played hooker but isn't a specialist hooker in the last few years and what that leaves. Do you also think that South Africa blew that game? Oh, I definitely think so. I think, man, around the breakdown area, I think they ended up winning the game line battle over Ireland. You will talk around Ireland around how uh, they want to play their game. You know, they were roughly around that 36% game line. South Africa were 51%. So, look, in terms of the breakdown area, I thought they, they won that physicality battle. And unfortunately, um, really, it came down to the goal kicking. Goal kicking at 20%. And, you know, no, dis- that's no disrespect to Fafta Klerk and, and Lebok, but, you know, they're just not to the, to the, um, to the way of like a Andre Pollard is. You know, if he's in their game, he won- they won their game. And I think they did enough. And I think they were looking at looking at their results, taking away the goal kicking element. They'll be sitting pretty happy if they do get another chance to get um, to get Ireland. I think they'll um, they'll be pretty excited around the opportunity with that because I thought in a lot of facets they won the game. So, but Johnny Sexton in that they nailed their their points and especially in that last ten minutes they were able to build that pressure and um, get a couple of penalties to take it out to that six point lead where um, South Africa still had a chance in that seventy ninth minute to get a to get the win, but um, you know Ireland did enough considering uh, that they probably didn't play to where they usually do. We've sort of previously spoken about how important that last 20 is, and I don't think the Springboks or Ireland will be that happy. Mm. Uh, Ireland gave away five penalties. I think they, um, in total, how many penalties they give away? Nine, and five of them in the last 20. That's a, that's a big you know, amount of opportunities that they provided to South Africa to get in their half and potentially win the game. Then on the flip side, South Africa obviously had a hell of a lot of ball, but they had seven turnovers out of 16 total for the game so you know both sides didn't really you know they were fatigued and and obviously the first 20 isn't going to be I mean your last 20 is not going to be as fresh as your your first 20 but the importance of of the bench and the substitution and that accuracy that comes on um, you know we saw it with the All Blacks that's what you know France won that last 20 minute battle and they win the game and again you, you probably think Ireland defensively won that last 20-minute battle. Um, they provided probably too many opportunities through the penalties, but um, they held strong. So I still think, you know, when you look across these games, this, the, the amount of errors that are happening or, um, you know, penalties given away in these last 20 um, are, are key in deciding these games. Gutsy defence from Ireland. I was blown away when Johnny Sexton came off. He is so integral to their attack. Why on earth would you do that? Why would you make that change when the game is in the balance? Yeah, I'm not sure. Um, probably, you know, to give some experience in the big occasion, the big moment, you know, if he does go down. And um, they may have looked at it like either side of the draw we go here. It's, um, I'm not too sure. It, it surprised me in such a big fixture. Like, mm. I don't think DuPont would be pulled off. Um, you know, it's, it, you wouldn't expect like a Richie Mwanga for us to be pulled off. So, um, yeah, it was, it was, you know, unless he has a niggle or something, I'm not too sure, but you saw, like, even with all their attack, his little um, loop-around plays and um, his ability to kick goals, like, he is just, he needs to be out there 80 minutes as soon as they hit the quarterfinals and, and beyond. Yeah, it just looks super disorganised, Bryn, when he went off. He has it a long time where he hasn't played a lot of minutes, you know what I mean? So there might have been a bit of fatigue. I saw that he had a bit of ice on his hand and whether, um, you know, the physios or whatnot were having that chat to him and saying to get him off. 
But then at the same time, um, to Jipper's point, it gives you know the likes of the second tens being able to come on and try and, uh, I guess, if there is a what if situation where he goes off in the twentieth or thirtieth minute or whatever um, crucial situation in the game is, he's had an opportunity to do that. But um, yeah, I think we'll touch on France um, a bit later. But yeah, guys like Sexton, um, you've got to have him on the field, but no doubt, you know, if they're in a quarterfinal, final, semi-final stage, you'd have to think he'd play the four eighty. Britain, the South Africans are a pragmatic bunch. They can lose to a world number one and pull play and go on to win a World Cup. They've done it before. Do you think they care that they lost that game? Outside of the obvious, do you think it's a problem at all for them? Even though they did lose, if you, if you do strip it right back, they won a lot of the main areas that I think are going to be pretty important going forward to the quarterfinal stage and semi-final stage. Like they won the set-piece battle. I think they had six turnovers in the lineup within the first you know, 45 minutes, which is a great area when it comes to set-piece um, set parity. They were able to win those 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 moments. They won the position in territory battle on the second half. And to be honest, if they, they kick a few goals, they win their game. And we've actually seen a lot of balance in and around their attack as well. I thought LeBoc and Willemster, those two together on attack, they're such a different team um, in terms of how they're celebrating its attack. But in saying that, I don't know, you can't, if you want to have a goal kicker, you've got to go with either, um, you've got to take LeBoc or Willemster out. You know, I was thinking actually a what if kind of scenario, and I don't know that they would do this, but, you know, in rugby league, Daryl Elligan, you know, a goal kicker, um, you know, was very good at his goal kicking, but was pretty much on the field for his goal kicking. He put a pollard on at fullback or something like that or on the wing to try and get him on the field and still keeping LeBoc and Vilmsa. It's just a, um, an, out, an out there theory because I actually really enjoy seeing LeBoc and Vilmsa because that attacking ability they do have, it's a whole different game that they have. So, um, or you could actually bring Pollard on the last 20 minutes, Chip. Keep that um, attacking ability and then if it's close, bring a guy on like Pollard to try and ice the game and, and win it with a penalty or conversion late. I think the other area as well, Bryn, was uh, I think both loose forwards probably it was probably 50-50 around that sort of collision and breakdown. They both had a lot of success. Um, but I feel like Ireland's point of difference is with James Lowe and the wide breakdowns. Like his ability to get key turnovers, um, you know, he did it massively down here when, when they beat the All Blacks. And, and he, it's like their point of difference. Like he is, a, he is just a rock over the ball. And, and the passion he gets and, and I suppose the way he sort of lifts his team when he gets those turnovers is, is massive. So, um, you know, the one thing teams that are going to come against both Ireland and South Africa, man, you, that, we spoke about how important the breakdown is going to be in winning this World Cup. These two teams are premier, if not equal best, I, I feel, in that breakdown area. You certainly feel like if South Africa were going into a World Cup final against Ireland, that they would look at that game and say, yeah, we can win this. Oh, I think you asking Bryn that question around does it matter to them? I don't, I don't honestly don't think so. Like they'll look at um, the the injury to Dupont, and they're probably on you know the side you want to be on. Mm. Um, so I just think they they are a team. They do seem to have a coaching team and a I suppose a leadership team that is you know pretty optimistic and and, and positive. Um, I don't think they'll be fearing anyone from from here on out. Do you think the All Blacks are at full strength? Yeah, full strength. Like even if you watch Dupont in the, in, against Namibia, like he's in every play. Yeah, you know, like he is involved in everything. Like in my head, I'm just thinking, how many minutes has actually been given to any other player at half, like over the last, you know, two years? You know, like he again, everyone's like, why did he play? I think he's a guy that just wants to play. Yeah, like every minute and doesn't want to give anyone a crack in their jersey. So. I think it's a massive, massive hole for them um, because you're yeah. not going to have... Uh, he is the best halfback in the world. If the Pont isn't playing in a quarter final, I don't think the French get out of it. 
I think they missed the semi-final stage. So whether they've got um, the ability to get the point back quicker, I just think with the likes of obviously losing Intermac as well, a nine and ten, nine and ten premier combination, more more so the point to what you're talking about, his influential moments that he is in game for France and what he is as a, as a talisman for that team. I don't think they get out of the quarterfinal stage without him. I wonder, considering the fact they're saying that he might not be back till the semi-finals, whether he's willing to play with a broken face. Like that's it'll be the... pretty hard in his position. Like, yeah, he, he's a running nine. He, he he's a, he's an abrasive defender. Um, he, he, you know, a big part of it is the way he engages defenders and getting you know getting their attention on him to free up others. And I hate to say it, like when a, when you know a player's got an injury, you you are going to look, especially around halfbacks, is trying to get them off the ball to slow them down. Yeah. Um, you, you know, there's just no way he can avoid contact. So um, he would he's made of tough stuff, but that will test that'll that would test you. You can get away with doing it, but I think to Jip's point, the way that DePaul plays the game, you know, he's nine or ten carries a game easily, you know, so the consistency that he runs with the ball and the times that he's going to get his face through contact, whether it be a shorter hand or or anything, um, it's quite hard for him to go um, to go quiet in games around the contact area. But again, there is local anaesthetic. You can play it. On, look, I, I imagine Richard McCall and a lot of other players have been able to play with local anaesthetics and, and painkillers to be able to get through. And I... Again, I'm not too sure if that if that's actually a possibility when it comes to the face and what that um, what that risk is with eyesight or what might, the damage might do after the game. I always think of that movie Any Given Sunday, you know, and, and the doctors are doing whatever the coaches <laughs> say, you know, and it's like, hey, this guy's injured, but you need him to play this weekend, so I'll give you a shot and let's go. To what degree does a player have the say over whether or not they play? Oh, like, I think here's your alternatives is what doctors will say. Like, you know, you, you could do it this way or it's a straight no. Like, they'll, they've got, like, a duty of care. Yeah. So, like, um, if it's an out-and-out out no, they'll say no. And then if, if there's a chance, then you'll have to hit certain, like, targets as you lead up. Like, it wouldn't be like, oh, in three weeks you're sweet. Like, OK, in three days you need to be here. Mm. You know, five days you need to be here. We've got to check you there. If you're not quite there, then, you know, we're probably looking more at the final. And so they'll work it the whole way through. So they won't really know. Yeah. It's quite hard, like, yeah. when you're in these situations. Like, um, the player's got to say, but, like, at the end of the day, it's he's just got to provide the feedback of how he's feeling for the doctor to sort of make his, you know, recommendation. But so, it's definitely not like any given Sunday, I can assure you. <laughs> so is it common then, Bryn, for players to kind of fake it, you know, put on a bit of bravado and be like, look, no, nah, I'm good, man. I'm good, let's go. Yeah, oh, definitely, because you're a competitor and you obviously want to be out on the field. But I think, you know, it takes a pretty selfless person, I think, for the bigger of the team to know that if you're right or not. You know, with whatever injury there might be, I think if it gets to a point where you know you know, you can't play 50 minutes or 80 minutes um, or even 20 minutes. It's having that conversation really, I think, internally, like, for the better of the team, I need to be able to put my, put my ego aside here and um, give someone else the opportunity so it doesn't harm the team. But I think you give yourself the best the best opportunity. Look, I think in rugby, there's not many times that you're, you feel 100% in games. You always have some form of niggle that you're dealing with. But, um, yeah, I think at DuPont's case, I think, you know, you give him one up to kick off. I do want to stress, like, Doctors have the most control in these situations, and you, like, you can think you're as tough as anything, but a scan is a scan, mm. <laughs> and you ain't, you ain't gonna like fool a doctor. Yeah, you know. So, um, 
Yeah, it's pretty, it's, it's pretty straight up and down when, at, at the end of the day. Well, the good news for the French is that they will be in the quarterfinals. The Australians, on the other hand, they're not looking that good after losing 46 to Wales. That was a pretty abysmal performance, Bryn. Goodness me, you look at Eddie Jones and you look at the position they've gone in with the selections they've made being, you know, one from seven or whatever it is. It just seems broken, doesn't it? The Australian rugby system, the Wallabies, everything about it, there's something drastically wrong there. You know, they're pretty much at rock bottom. And I think, you know, Eddie had an idea around, I think, bringing in the young players and an enthusiastic group that uh, maybe hadn't had the past traumas of the previous, um, previous Wallabies. But, you know, if he's there for five years, a lot of those younger players that are in that, are in that team, um, it's going to be better for them. And I know that's really hard to say right now because... It's an individual, it's, it's a sport where we're based on success. Um, but he's also got to be held accountable for the sense that he did leave a lot of guys that I think probably could have um, helped within that squad, the likes of a Hooper, the likes of a Cooper as well, two very experienced guys that ended up playing the rugby championship. And that's, sorry, that's probably one of the, the interesting things for me is that if you're going to make a decision around those experienced guys, do it at the start when you first come in. You know, it's kind of like you've kind of kept the, the leadership guys in there, the likes of a Hooper or a Cooper, those kind of experienced guys. And then just before the World Cup, you've decided that you're going to go for a younger group. If that was the direction that you wanted to go, you probably should have done that earlier. And then giving the guys like a Carter called a Dalton the time and the saddle going into the Rugby World Cup. But yeah, it's pretty tough for Eddie. I'm not too sure what is happening with him either. There's been a lot of talks around the Japan um, comments. So, um, yeah, Australia rugby, it's looking pretty tough in a, in a dire strait, to be honest. I just think there's no clarity. Like, the the best example of it for me is they get that penalty um, when they're on six points. They kick to the corner and they literally trip over each other in the line-out. And then from there, Wales kick a 50-22 and go and score points at the other end. And it just shows they're just not singing off the same song sheet as, as a team. And, you know, they say all the right things, oh, good week training, um, and, and you look at the players, like we were sort of lauding um, Corumbetti, you know, a, 12 months ago as like the best winger in the world, works off the ball, unbelievable. Um, he had three carries. Like what, why is their system not structured to get him in the game? Like you just don't see him hovering around Tate anymore um, or the nine. Um, I, I don't know. I just I'm not sure. Like these are good players. Like Karevi, he's an amazing player. Like he he has that little knock on um, under the goalposts. Um, so I actually don't think it's a skill set thing. There is definitely clearly some internal um, issues. And and Bryn, I think he he had those guys in the squad during um, rugby championships that, and I just don't think he genuinely thought they were going to lose all those games. So he, I, I just feel like there's like he panicked and was like, oh, bugger this, I'm just going to bring in a whole new group and mm. and it, it's just like a hidden hope and it's it hasn't hit. Yeah. Um, and, and I'm not too sure, Bryn, how many are going to make it to the next World Cup. Like some of these players' careers mm. could end based on these performances at this level. Like it's ruthless, international sport. and. Yeah. If you get too many you know, marks against your name, it, it not only becomes hard to get back into the international squad, but it gets hard to get a job in clubland mm. because that you're tarred with that brush. So although it's an amazing um, feat to be selected for your country, if you've done it too early, you, you know, you've seen it even at Super Rugby level, when young guys are thrusted into the limelight and, and they're not ready for that intensity and that level and the need for accuracy and that need for professionalism day in, day out, they're one, one and done. Yeah. It's like, I feel for some of those players because they're, they're just not ready.
And, you know, and then there's other players that have proven over a long period of time that they're, they're world class. And they, they're looking average at the moment. And that is purely down to whatever structures Eddie's put in place. They're just clearly not clicking. You see a, a story come out a couple of days before you play a game like this game against Wales, where a journalist has got sources saying that he's been having conversations with Japan days out from the World Cup. And I can tell you from experience that you don't publish or broadcast a story like that unless you've got rock solid sources because you are going to wear it if you get it wrong. So he's obviously got some pretty solid sources, Tom Deason, on this, this oh. particular yarn. How would you feel, Bryn, as a player, reading that in the, in the press, knowing that everything's falling apart? Like, it, you certainly wouldn't want to play for him. It's, it's tough to hear as a player, especially when you're going through um, a tough a tough situation or winning and you're hearing in the background, you know, a lot of play, you know, even the captain after the game said, you know, the boys didn't actually hear a lot of it. You've got to say that in front of the media and your coaches, be able to say that you haven't, you haven't heard it, but you're definitely hearing, you're reading it. The amount of people that are on your phone and seeing the articles and it all comes up on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, whatever, TikTok or whatever it is. So you're definitely hearing that noise. And so I think it just comes back to, when results aren't going well, um, you've got coaches obviously being talked about it at other nations. Um, it kind of just leads to a slow decline, unfortunately. And it's like a, it's like a like a grave. You just keep digging deeper and deeper. And so, you know, and again, we're not privy to the to the understanding if Eddie actually had those conversations. You'd, you'd like to think that that it didn't happen. But look, coming back to you, Ross, you're you're pretty seasoned understanding that there's a, there's a bit of smoke when it comes to that. So. Um, yeah, very tough for Australia at the moment. And, you know, for Eddie Jones, it's going to be pretty tough to see if he does sell with Australia or he ends up going to Japan, not too sure. I'll tell you who will be fuming is the guy that played 125 tests and was their captain, Michael Hooper, who's put his body on the line for over 10 years and his, you know, his heart lies with that team. And to his credit, after the game, he goes, I'm, I'm part of that team. I'm part of why they're not being successful. And took, you know, like what a leader. Like he has every opportunity to have a crack. Yeah. And he's like, nah, that's, I'm responsible. I'm just as responsible. I've let those group down. Like, I was just like, man, and if he's hearing this, he's, he, he's the guy that goes a hundy. Mm. And he hears a guy's pretty much given up. If anything, if he's had this meeting, he's clearly gone, yeah, I've signed a five year deal, but uh, this isn't as good or it's not going to work. So uh, I'm going to go look in Japan or wh whatever. Like you'd be fuming if yeah. you were the, like. I agree with Bryn. Like if you're in the squad, you you just focus on playing. It wouldn't it wouldn't fluster you. But for guys that've been left out and they re reading that, they will be, um, you know, especially the experienced guys will be will be fuming. Now Eddie has said this pretty much the whole time since he's been at the Wallabies. We're not grand decision makers around you know, the ruck or abilities to be able to be disciplined in big moments or a square pass to finish or those kind of things that happen in rugby games. That's been the same message that's been said, you know, for the last nine test matches. You know, so that's been a common trend that's been said at post-match interviews and they're doing they're doing the same stuff. You know, so, you know, this as well, when you're talking around the same messages, there's got to be about ability to be able to say, right, that's one area that we're going to fix or there's going to be an improvement on it. That's a trend that's been shown in your game. And so they aren't showing improvements in any of those areas. And that comes back to the messages that have been said or there's just no belief from what's been said. If you look across their stats, man, it's just erratic. Like, you don't, you know, like, they they had five penalties given away straight after half time. That's like when you've had a refresh, you've, you've, you know, 
talked about what hasn't gone right. Like you, you normally, the best teams come out and they've made the changes that need to be made. Whereas they almost get more inaccurate after a breather and a, and a chat. So is that saying there's more confusion when they go in and then come out? And, and, the, and penalties, a lot of them are just people second guessing themselves. Yeah. Um, so I go back to the clarity piece. Like they just, you, you, you may, they're not bad players. Like we know these guys are good players. We've seen them play very well. Um, but they just don't have the clarity, so they're not, they're hesitant. And if you're a split second slow at these top level games, I mean, you know, you just get left, left behind. To, in saying that, I do want to say I think Wales played very, very well. Mm. Um, I thought Gareth Anscombe was outstanding. Um, they took the points when on offer. Um, you know, I didn't back, back them to win. I, I backed the Wallabies. I thought, you know, this may free them up. But if anything, you know, they got worse. <laughs> this is the worst game of the tournament, to be honest. Um, so it's, you know, exciting for Wales. Are they a genuine contender when you look across um, what we saw, you know, the last few weeks with the big clashes? Um, I don't think they're there yet. Um, but if you, you know, aren't accurate in and around your breakdown, you give away a lot of penalties, they will be able to accrue points from anywhere. I'll tell you what, with Wales, they are the silent achiever of this World Cup. They're going to top their pool and they're going to play second best in Pool D. So this Welsh side now has a significant crack at a semi-final. It's a serious threat. In fact, you should be surprised if Wales don't make the semi-finals. Yeah, you'd, you'd have to think they'll get there. So, Bryn, when you look at this Wales team and at the names on the pieces of paper there, do you see them as a team that could have a threat to any of the top teams in the semi-final? Because it looks like that's where they're bound. Well, I think so. I think, so you said Ross in the quarter-final, they'll play... They'll play the DD second place. Yeah. So Japan, Samoa or Argentina. Most likely Argentina, I would have thought. Mm. You know, if that's how they ended up playing in the quarter-final stage, and the best thing about them is that they've, you know, they've had three performances where they're building confidence. You know, we talked around this side of the draw thinking that was going to be Australia, right? We thought Australia would build the momentum through the competition and then come quarterfinal stage, they'll be on a trajectory of going up and um, you're heading towards the semi-final final stage. But this is exactly what Wales have done. And that's a lot of credit has to go to to, um, to Warren Gatlin, considering the six nations that they had, the, the run-in that they had coming into the World Cup. Um, they, Like you said, they are being the silent achievers. And you know, sometimes, it's quite funny actually, Eddie said something needs to click for the Australians to, for it to keep going forward. But I think Warren Gellin and that Welsh side, they've taken that and um, they're kind of living in that um, scenario of what the Eddie Jones was talking about. So, no, definitely. Paul D, they're either going to play Simon Moore or Argentinian team in a quarterfinals. They didn't get into the semifinals. Which Warren Gellin has had success before playing in those games. Obviously, not getting to a final, but, um, you know, great coaching, a great coach who understands it on World Cup um, scenarios. And they build a lot of confidence with three wins um, in their pool play. The, the rush team was really strong. That's what put Australia under pressure. But they, they, I don't know if you saw this, Bryn, but there were quite a number of spaces in and around that breakdown. I was surprised McDermott didn't start running and trying to engage and, and you know, not to bring it up again, but the wingers coming off their wing and, and just trying to tighten that defence, not just allow them to sort of spread the field and keep rushing and, and forcing errors. So, um, you know, you, you are going to have to have a, a, a solid attack strategy um, when you come up against Wales because with any Warren Gatlin side they're really good at putting your skills under pressure through defence and, and they're accurate in their defence um, and that's including the breakdown in terms of not giving away silly penalties um, and sort of wearing teams down so they're certainly back in, back in the hunt um, 
man, he must have a real knack with the uh, the Welsh players because he seems to, you know, they, they were struggling. Mm. Like They've just built really, really well. Moran's definitely having the last laugh, isn't yeah. he? <laughs> quite a different place. Yeah. yeah. Quite a different place. Uh, I'm interested, guys, because obviously the All Blacks are playing Italy this weekend. Um, having watched Ireland and the fact that the All Blacks are likely to face Ireland in the quarterfinals once again based on their positions in pool play, I wonder... Do you, after watching Ireland against South Africa, think that New Zealand will have watched that game and thought, you wouldn't mind a piece of that? Um, I think they have been heavily focused. I'm sure that you know coaches would have probably had a, a look at it. Players probably won't, you know, sort of preempt any um, thoughts. You know, that hiring for your small business. If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. We've got to do a job on Italy, you know, and that needs to be prime focus. And, and I think sometimes when things aren't going your way, um, the best thing to do is focus on yourselves and your strengths. Um, and, you know, if you, if you play to the very best ability, you have got clarity on the way you want to play, then the defence will give you the picture on the night. Um, but I think they'll, they'll, they wouldn't mind seeing, a, um, I suppose, the line-out struggles. Um, I suppose um, the, the South African, even though um, early on Ireland went to the corner a lot, and that's how they had a lot of success down here, they didn't break. The South African defence, and and I and I think you saw that sort of defence from New Zealand against South Africa at Twickenham. I know it blew out in the end, but there was a period of defence there. So um, there's enough to know that they'll be in in the race, um, but it's it's certainly not going to be easy. And, and we've got two games to to sort of just get our own confidence back, and then and I think then you start to turn your focus to that. What do you think, Brent? With how Ireland beat us in, the, um, in that series not too long ago in New Zealand. A lot of those players will be excited for the opportunity to try and get that win back. But um, I just hope that we have enough time now with the injuries, you know, the likes of Lomax, Frizzell, um, Brody Metallic was obviously injured. Um, they get the opportunity to get a couple of games underneath their belt because I think they're going to need a bit of game time to get those kind of uh, rugby feels and those kind of touches that you need um, when you play rugby. So um, they'll be focused on Italy. But I know in the background that um, that Irish team is coming up for that quarterfinal stage, and there's a few things that I think you know Joe brought up around the set piece that Sammy Whitelock and those line up those those forwards they'll be um, chomping at the bit. We get an opportunity to see um, see that on when they do play. While we're talking Sam Whitelock, if he gets selected this weekend, 149th game for the All Blacks that goes past Richie McCall's 148. That takes him well and truly 
further into legendary status, which he already has with New Zealand <laughs> rugby. I think certainly amongst the players, uh, as much as anywhere, he's he's a legend. Yeah, I think you can even hear the way. You know, I obviously talk about him. Brins was his teammate. He talks about him, and you hear about other opposition players um, talk about him. Is that's the biggest, you know, sort of tip of the cap to any player. Mm. Um, he he is so good at what he does that you have to take notice. Um, and he's also such a good team member for the work that he puts in in, in that line-out area. So um, he's he's world-class player. Um, it was funny. I, I sent him a message congratulating him um, for for um, equaling Rico's record, and he goes, "Yeah, it's gone really quick." I was like, "Geez, you've <laughs> played a lot of footy. Yeah. I don't think it's gone that quick." But um, so he's still young and young in the mind, young in the heart. So I think yeah, he's he's got plenty plenty more games under his belt to come. He made a hell of a start to his career, didn't he? Straight into the All Blacks, straight into winning a World Cup. Four years later, won another World Cup. Boy, he does a lot. But down at the Crusaders, Bryn, what kind of things does he contribute off the field as much as on it? It's the stuff that is really hard sometimes, I think, as a leader, you know, being, being captain a lot, is having hard conversations with people that you need to, but understanding um, timing is really important and being able to do that. And so Sammy has a great ability to be able to do that, uh, whether that be you're the most experienced player or you're a young guy coming through, he's got a really good feel around what's required and understanding as a leader to do that. And I think on the field as well, Ross, he is so smart situationally and understanding what's what's needed, whether that's a, a penalty, the feel for the game, what's what what's needed, the conversations, what the refs. Um, yeah, mate, I, I can't speak higher enough just with how um, much of an impact he had at the Crusaders, especially, but then I can even imagine in their all-black environment, playing 149 tests, for the All Blacks is, is something to be celebrated and um, to be consistently picked for that long period of time. Um, yeah, um, it's a great achievement and hopefully, you know, the All Blacks can send them on, send them with a win and hopefully a World Cup win as well. It's just so measured. Like when you watch him, like I don't think I've ever seen him like spit the dummy about anything. Even when things are going horribly wrong for the team he's involved with, he just, you know, he's always the guy like just calm it down lads, we've yeah. got this next yeah. job. Um, and to have that sort of calmness under pressure is, is certainly um, an impressive skill to have and it's, and it's not one you see um, in everyone. Yeah, you combine the EQ that you talk about and the detail and the calmness, but also Bryn, I mean, probably can't underestimate how tough this bloke is. Oh, yeah. Pretty remarkable if you're thinking about it, man. I don't know how he gets out of bed sometimes with the amount of test matches and some games that he does play. So, you know, the greatest, one of the greatest things around Sam as well is that his availability through the long periods of time. I don't think he's ever had a real serious I can't even, I don't even think he's yet had that. So comes back to the to the legend of what Sam's been available and been able to do for this, for the All-Black Sam and the Crusaders. So, Excuse yeah, me. hopefully he can spit it out. <laughs> yeah. You just cursed another player, mate. <laughs> uh, Nuggie will be going down. <laughs> Sam's down. <laughs> the Bryn Hall Sam curse. Sam was showing the broken. You play with a broken thumb, broken leg. Uh, yeah, it's, it's true. It's true. So we will find out after this is recorded, of course, whether Sam is playing against Italy and getting that 149th, and then obviously 150 follows um, soon after. So it's a few weeks of celebrating um, for Sam Wylock and around that. We've had a lot of questions from All Blacks fans over the last little while. We couldn't really get to them last week. We thought this week was a good week to get into them, uh, particularly around selection. There's a few. Um, and particularly around the back three. We've discussed the back three a fair bit, but it's obvious that 
fans want to talk some more about it. So let's go then. Thank you for your emails. Aotearoarugbypod at sky.co.nz if you want to send us one for us to answer along the way. So let's start with the back three. We got emails from Andrew and from Rob as well uh, talking about the back three, particularly Lester Faianganduku. So if the number one back three is set in stone and that number one back three is Talera on the left, Jordan on the right and Bowden at fullback, our question from Rob is, how do you best make use of Leicester Faianganuku in the 23 jersey? It's a good question. It's, it's, it's hard because a wing's not really a position you traditionally sub, like, tactically. Yeah. Mm. You know, like, if he's not in there, he's, you know, he's just waiting for an opportunity. Like, I can't really sit here and create something because that will be his role. You know, yeah. it's, that just is the role. If they're the starting wingers, you know, why have you started them if you're going to pull them off at half time or at 60 minutes? Yeah. You'd only do it if the heat was the way it was in that first game um, against France. Um, and if you got, you know, potentially a couple, a, let's not say it, but a yellow card or two and players are having to do extra work yeah. and cover, then you probably could sub them earlier. Um, yeah. I think he's probably played well enough to, to warrant a start. Yeah. Currently. I, I suppose like, when I think of outside backs, Bryn, on the bench, I mean, the term impact player is a player that's been used a long time. And I mean, impact strategy, less defying our Nuku brings a point of difference, doesn't he? And if you were to bring him on with 30 minutes to go, it would allow you to switch up your game plan. If you had Roy Gard and Fang Nuku come on, suddenly things look quite different, don't they? They do, but I think more so Roy Gard. I think he's definitely, in, you know, the form of kind of impact and what would have more of an influence game, I believe, from halfback. I think it's just hard as a winger sometimes, you know, depending on how the game is going, the impact as a winger coming off the bench probably doesn't have much of a wrong influence, but it's really hard to be able to try and, you know, get that kind of impact like he would as a Roy guard, I believe, as a halfback, as a winger. Um, so... And coming back to that's why I think on the bench role, there's probably no need to have that wing, I believe. Even though they had shown um, previously in the previous test matches they have had a wing and midfielder on, I think it's just wasted having a winger on the bench. So especially with the amount of cover that we have with Rico and Jordy have the ability to be able to play left or right wing, better off having, um, you know, a midfielder in that 23. You could even say in terms of the 23, like having an Anton and a Davy Havili... You know, if you look at David's game, like his tactical kicking and his ability to manipulate defence and maybe adjust them if under pressure is probably more influential. I know Leicester's like that player that will bust out the other side of defence and, you know, as a human highlight reel. But in terms of strategy of the 23 and where players fit, someone like David Harvilli is pretty crucial to have in and around if we're not getting what we want on attack. He's got a different skill set than than I suppose the other midfielders that that we have. But the way that we play, and especially the 12, if Jordi Barrett was injured within the first 10, 15 minutes in a big test match, Davey Harvilli has the exact, I believe the exact same skill set of what's needed required as a 12, especially if distribution skills under pressure and that line speed that we're going to see against a French and Irish. Um, Davies really has that good ability to be able to get that ball away, attacking kicks and being able to game manage that way. So, yeah, I think that's a really good point you bring on, Roger. I think having Davy um, as that cover in terms of, you know, the 12 area for that All Black team, very pivotal, I think, if there are injuries and 
um, even if he had the ability to bring him on early I, to be able to do that as well. I also think you can't underestimate how much he brings the best out of Richie Moonga as well. Mm. Like they are like, you know, thick as thieves in terms of understanding each other. Um, I've actually just convinced myself into it now. <laughs> I think Havili needs to be on the bench. Yeah. <laughs> so, sorry, I don't think there is a place for a winger. I wonder how many selection meetings go like that, you know, when they, they sit around the table, oh. I imagine they sit around a round table like this with a glass of red wine and a bunch of stats in I, front of them. I definitely think it's done with a glass of red wine. Yeah. I mean, the, the fortunate thing that we're talking about now is we're, we're talking about a fully fit squad. Mm. You know, you look at front, man, it can change so quick. You know, we might not have that choice, <laughs> you know, in a week's time. You know, injuries yeah. are brutal. So, um, you know, <clears throat> keeping that competition at training and, and you're going for a jersey is good because that brings you that brings that sort of pressure of game-like throughout the week, which sets the 23 up really well. So, I mean, we're in a good position in that sense. Now, New Zealand's won its 15 tests against Italy by an average of 51 points. So... I suppose it's easy to imagine why people aren't really talking about the possibility of an Italian victory. But an Italian friend of mine tells me that that's not what they're saying in Rome. They're seeing this as the opportunity to get the latest set of firsts against Ian Foster's All Blacks. Do you think there is any chance of this going awry? I don't. Why? I just think we're the better team. Um, yeah. But, I mean, I've stood pretty strong by the All Blacks, everyone knows that um, throughout all the other, um, I suppose, losses that have, have surprised us. Um, but from what I've seen, um, I just don't know if they've got the strike power. You know, if we're, like, we're not a bad team. I state again, like, that French game was a lot closer than that scoreline says, and that was a good French side. Like, we're not, we're not far off. Yeah. And I think Italy are. Bryn? Yeah, I agree with Jip. I don't think we're going to see a first, unfortunately, for for the Italians. Even though you actually know and playing with a couple of those boys in the in the World 15, they're definitely excited. There definitely is a form of confidence there. Um, this isn't the strongest All Black team that they've ever faced, and they're not exactly um, you know the top of the world at the moment. So they definitely are seeing it as an opportunity to um, to I guess have a, have a bit of history when it comes to the Italians. But yeah, I just think we'll be too good. And I think for the fact that. Um, you know, we've had a week off in terms of being able to try and implement things in our game and would have been sharpening the tools nicely and and camp. And um, you know, I think we're gonna probably see the the best all blacks performance, I think, in this World Cup, uh, moving forward going into those quarterfinals. I'll tell you what, if 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 the if the Italian team you know, I think it was Jace Ryan came out and said, you know, the, his biggest focus is about getting the all black pack mm. respected. Man, if they're actually saying that, like, I oh, get it translated and put it in the locker rooms, because if that's what they're after, they're going after getting respect, um, I'd make a statement. <laughs> Big call. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Fair enough, too. Um, now, one more viewer question before we move on uh, from the viewer questions. From Dirk, who looks like he's a Kiwi living in Austria. There's been a bit of talk about the expansion of the Rugby World Cup next time around, adding an extra team to each pool having 24 teams, which of course make the competition even longer. We've already got a lot of lopsided results as it is now. So, I mean, it's a real question, isn't there, about whether or not there's the depth out there to really make that worthwhile. Well, I suppose it's World Rugby trying to, you know, make a bigger footprint. Mm. Um, and I suppose teams like the US missing out and they're quite a big market. Yeah. Um, would be heavily motivating um, to increase it. But I... Um, I really love what he's suggested. It's um, 
when you sent those questions through, I was like, that is a great idea. Okay, so Dirk, his suggestion, the first place team would get a bye after the round robin pool play and automatically qualify for the quarterfinals. The second and third place team in their pool would enter into a wildcard round to qualify for the quarterfinal. This would add more meaningful games and help develop the teams that are knocking on the door of top tier rugby. So like teams like Scotland, you know, they're probably worthy of the quarterfinal, but are likely to miss oh, out yeah. Samoa or Argentina or Japan, potentially having a second lick at the cherry, whereas the, and whoever wins gets the rest, which would mean, you know, a team like Australia would get a second chance and you know then you can create a narrative that's interesting to fans and so from a it's very american i suppose in terms of the wild card yeah. um but i think it's awesome it would definitely you know it makes the tournament longer it's an extra game um you know probably more um positive in terms of the game of rugby in terms of the narrative and and the excitement than just adding four more teams that get pumped by 90. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, like, yeah, absolutely. With all due respect, yeah, yeah. I didn't really say that respectfully. But <laughs> I, I, I didn't mean it <laughs> to if, sound disrespectful. But if you say all due respect, yeah, you're right. yeah, 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 you're all right. Well, if you say that, you definitely, you're probably admitting you haven't shown a lot of respect. <laughs> anyway, they would lose by ninety. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, whether we like it or not, so that would be more interesting to me. The wild card. If you look at the NFL example as well. The viewership that they have in those wildcard rounds, um, it's really, really good because, you know, the teams that are on that tier you talk around that third spot like you alluded to, Joe, it gives them an opportunity to still be able to play rugby and, you know. Like I support the um, Padres uh, baseball team yeah. and they've got this wildcard round and they're outside there at the moment. But there's only about nine or so games to go and we're on the cusp. We'd, we'd mm. probably have to win eight of the nine, but it's interesting. Like, I'm still following them. Whereas, if that wild card didn't exist, there'd be no point yeah. watching. So, between the NPC International Rugby <laughs> following the Broncos well, and the NRL. Baseball's and, good because it's every day. Yeah. And it's over, like, they've got the new pitch rule in, so it's, it's over pretty fast these days. And you don't really sit and watch the whole thing. Right, right. So, you just. I come, in, I come in for probably innings seven, eight, nine. Yeah. Because that's when it gets. Right. Interesting. The other, the other six innings, I'm watching rugby. It's got to say. Oh, I was kicking stones yesterday when yeah. Wellington got out to an early lead, and the Padres were playing at the same time. And I, uh, for the first time, I was just, I'd, I'd hyped myself up after the Broncos win, and I thought, you know, it could be the day the shield comes back to the shore. It was yeah. not the day. Yeah. So then I switched to the Padres, and then they lost. Yeah. So I was like, I'm a curse. Yeah. That was me. Yeah. Is your is your my sky just constantly getting refreshed? Hey, look, it's this beautiful thing called Sky Guy. I don't know if you've heard of it, Bryn, but it's all pre-recorded for you and it sits there just beautifully. Yeah. So, oh. so you're a second screen guy. You're looking at two games at once. I do do. I'm quite bad with, I'll have like baseball and rugby if I'm not having to watch it late. Yeah. I love sport, clearly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And if people have come around and they're watching it with you, are you also you're still there on the baseball? or are you? Um, I do get told off my wife. She's like, people are here, like, can you engage with them? <laughs> <laughs> um, but, like, I've, I've pretty much bought every team I support kit for my daughter. Right. She's got no idea, like, but I just force her to wear these She's things. She's been indoctrinated. And I, I blame my wife and her for the All Blacks loss. This is no joke because they wouldn't put the All Black kit on. And then, and then I said, this is, this is your fault. You weren't patriotic yeah. enough. So you're sitting around as a family dressed in black. Yeah. Full kit, mate. 
and then full kit socks. <laughs> Uh, no socks, no, no socks, socks, no socks. Um, I've got my daughter in uh, jersey and shorts, but she dominates me. Like she'll decide if she wants to wear it. I don't. I don't really get much say in the matter. Um, but they, they, I purposely said to them, and excuse, I think everyone gets why I'm a Broncos fan. Sorry to the Warriors. Um, yes, it was a forward pass. Um, but I had them in Broncos kit on Saturday. I said, you just can't. 2015 was the last time. I said, "Yeah, we need. Anyway, I'd gone down a huge rabbit hole. <laughs> on that though, Joe, glad you brought up that forward pass. How is that not a forward pass? To I think we all know it's a forward pass. It was, um, oh, but I don't think it would have changed the, <laughs> changed the out, outcome. It was that horrific, Joe. Yeah. Horrific. Well, I mean, I'm not going to lie. I was celebrating because I love Jordan Ricky. How I don't know if anyone saw the interview with um, Courtney. Yeah. But so humble um, and and victory and just how much yeah he loved the Warriors growing up and Jordan Ricky. Um, for our international guests, uh, we're talking about the NRL rugby league. <laughs> uh, the Warriors, the uh, Auckland-based team, uh, made the finals for the first time in quite a while. Um, it kind of happens every decade or so. So the country goes mad, except Jipper supports the Broncos, which is a team that's been around a lot longer than the Warriors. He's always been with them. I'm a one-club man. And he's not going anywhere. So, uh, yeah, yeah, it's, it's, it's sent some hate your way. Oh, the day of the game, I got some hate. I did put a few things up on Instagram and whew, I definitely um, got a bit of feedback. But um, after I after I was... Um, in the, in the winner's circle, I was quite happy. Okay, well, I think thus ends our viewer, <laughs> our viewer question section, uh, which went down a serious rabbit hole. <laughs> we do have one more piece to get through before we do our picks and get the hell out of here. Uh, this week, we've got the Laurie O'Reilly Cup. Uh, for those who don't know, that's the Blackburns versus Australia, the second test match of the year in the women's rugby test. It's also the lead into the WXV, which is the inaugural yearly international competition. It's being held in New Zealand. It's going to happen over three weeks. Um, the Black Ferns will be playing against France, Wales and England, so it's going to be some pretty good games down here and yearly I, I think it's going to get even bigger as time goes by. But first, the Laurie O'Reilly is in New Zealand in Hamilton this weekend, Saturday I believe in Hamilton at 4.35. Um, New Zealand's never lost to Australia. It's not happening now, is it? No, I don't think so, but a, a great opportunity for them to you know, hit the ground running because those those matches will be tough, especially you know England and France. Um, so you know they they'll need to put their best 23 out. Um, they've had great opportunity through the pack four uh, to mix and match, um, but I think they need to get the A the A team out there and get some uh, I suppose miles on the clock before they they go into the pressure cooker that is uh, the WXV. Now before you say this is madness, why is this happening at the same time as the men's rugby world cup? Uh, these things have to happen and. The final will be the week after the men's final, so that's when New Zealand will play England in the rematch of the World Cup final from last year, which is still one of the greatest rugby games I've ever seen in my life. That game had absolutely everything, so keep an eye out for that. Before we go, picks this weekend, Rugby World Cup. Not Guys, let's get this it. week. A little bit easier, a little bit easier. Uruguay, Namibia. Where do you see that going, Jibba? Uruguay, I think. Was that a question or yeah, was that I just, a... I was just thinking then, yeah, but I think yeah. Uruguay. They've Uruguay? Shown more. They've shown more. Okay. Personally. Bryn? Yeah, I'll go Uruguay. They've been pretty impressed with how they play. They play a great brand of footy, so yeah, I'll get Uruguay um, to win that game. 
Possibly the biggest game of the weekend is this Japan Samoa game because that can have a really big indication on what happens inside of Pool D. Do you see? I mean, there's been a lot of good talk about Samoa. Um, do you see them delivering against Japan, or do you think that Japan can finally get their game going? No, I'm on the. I'm still on the Manu bandwagon. I think I saw enough the other day. Yeah, I think Samoa. I think Samoa will get the result. Um, yeah, we've talked too much around Japan in terms of wanting them to you know, play a lot better, but they probably haven't shown enough consistency leading in and even now um, to warrant kind of result against Samoa. Even though they did play, I think, their best test match against um, England not too long ago, uh, but I don't think that's enough confidence for me to be able to, um, to see the beat Samoa. Okay, the next few, uh, New Zealand, Italy, I think we both, we all know what there's, that's going to be. Argentina, Chile seems relatively straightforward. Fiji versus Georgia, mm. is that straightforward? Well, I would have said no after, but after the draw with Georgia, yeah. Um, yeah, I don't think, I just hope Fiji keep that edge, you know, because it is a lot easier when you're the underdog um, to rise to those occasions. The, the, expectate, the weight of expectation now is their challenge and their discipline, you know, a lot of the times we see with um, when a team that is supposed to beat a team by a lot is they try to go wide too early mm. and they don't, you know, sort of penetrate and, and, and tighten the defence and then go wide. So I just hope they're disciplined out of their half, keep their kicking game going and then when they get in the half just be physical and abrasive as we've seen in the other games. Okay. But it won't be straightforward if they just try to play willy-nilly mm. footy out of their half like they've uh, Glenn Jackson's too good um, an exit coach for that to happen but that's the risk and there is some history there Georgia has beaten Fiji in recent times Bryn so I mean there's a good reason to ask the question yeah I think it, it, there is a possibility there's been a banana peel game for Fiji and to come back to Jip's point around the expectation and you know they, they should win this game considering the two performances they've had against top tier one nations in their pool um, it's going to be interesting, interesting to see how they do have with that favourites tag, and if it does, you know, play make them play a little bit tight with that expectation. I don't think so because, you know, the areas that I think they've done really well about is that physicality and breakdown, their mindset in and around that. If they continue to keep winning that, I think that'll be a bit too much for Georgia. And if they keep their discipline, you know, under that kind of um, double figures, then I think they've got enough. They've got too much um, firepower out wide and in general. I think for the Georgians to to stay with them. Make no mistake, they should win by plenty. Yeah, that's the expectation. Yeah, like if yeah. they don't, they've played poorly. Well, and that's probably the the next evolution, isn't it? That you are a team of this standard and you deliver in these games, and 100%. that's how it is. Otherwise, people come at you. Scotland v Romania. I think with this pretty straightforward. Australia v Portugal. This <laughs> should be straightforward. Can they sink to an even lower depth? Well, no. I didn't predict the 18-all draw with Georgia and Portugal. Yeah. So they're better than I probably gave them credit, but surely not. <laughs> <laughs> I've lost faith, to be honest. <laughs> like I've held yeah. tough with Australia yep. the whole way, um, but they've lost me after this morning. Yeah. Gone. But they, they'll win. They'll win, but I don't think it's going to be great. There's, there's no way that they'll lose that game. Obviously, yeah, I know they're in dire straits, but you, you can't. As players, <laughs> you just can't. Emotionally, you just can't. You what? You couldn't walk back into Australia. Oh, like well, that point I made about back. careers being ruined, that would do it. Yeah. 
That <laughs> would just put a line through your name. Yeah, 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 yeah. You'd be a pretty determined person, wouldn't you? To, um, oh. to, to come home and not have that <laughs> across you. Okay. Well, one other game. South Africa v Tonga. Uh, Tonga, I suppose, with the return of all the superstars, there was a fair amount of expectation, but I think we've probably seen that you need more time together. You do. You do. It's why it's key to get this calendar and the release windows working in around these club competitions so they can get that time because we don't have that battle like in, in the sort of other nations do um, because their players can be picked from overseas um, but it does make it challenging you know not only for Samoa and Tonga but for South Africa and Argentina as well. Mm, mm, but South Africa have stuck with the squad for a long period of time they know each other and they've done yeah, well. Yeah and they'll make the rules to suit winning. Yes. Which you can't argue with. <laughs> exactly. So I think we're all in agreement that that's a South Africa victory. Yep. And that's that. But a couple of good ones to watch in there for the weekend. So we look forward to seeing that and uh, look forward to you guys getting in touch again, whether it's in the comments section on YouTube or an email at aotearoarugbypod at sky.co.nz. We look forward to hearing from you, uh, answering some of your questions maybe. Um, really appreciate you guys engaging with us. So thanks for joining us once again, Chipper, as always. Cheers, mate. Bryn, thank you very much. And thank you to the people back home. Appreciate your time. We'll see you next week. Matewa. Te